chance, uh, if you are able for the reading of God's word, back in Romans 11 tonight, we've been in this series on the book of Romans for a long time now, and we're kind of coming to the closing elements of Romans chapter 11. We're going to pick up in verse 16, which was the very end of the text that we did last week, and we're going to go from verse 16 all the way through verse 24. If you would follow along with me as I read out loud for us from God's word, it says this. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say this, Branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts in here would be pleasing in your sight. We ask it and pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me and standing for the scripture reading. Go ahead and be seated. So this week we are in the garden. Not the garden is in the Garden of Eden, but just generally the garden. We're talking about trees. We're talking about horticulture. We're talking about plants and shrubs. And in particular, we're talking about this one tree, the olive tree that's used as kind of this analogy, this example all throughout the text. It's God's very own olive tree. And uh, Paul's going to tell us all about uh, pruning that tree and cultivating that tree But the thing that really struck me this week as I studied and read about this and what you're seeing with the sermon title is that the more you read about Paul's gardening techniques, the more you begin to think that maybe he's in over his head, that actually he might be a terrible gardener, and that if you were to follow his gardening advice in your backyard, you'd end up with a lot of dead trees. (laughs) Now... Before you freak out, okay? Before you're like, Josh is insulting the apostle Paul's gardening. He's saying the Bible has terrible gardening advice. Before you freak out, don't worry, okay? There's, There's a reason that I'm going at it this way that does not undercut the authority of God's word or inerrancy. Don't worry. You're gonna see in a second, there's a reason, a method to the madness, but to start off with, we got to say, there's some, there's some weird gardening going on in this passage. Now, hey, a little plug before I get too deep. Let's plant some trees on Saturday. I'm in paradise. 
those uh, clipboards going around. Tell me that's not a coincidence. We're about to do tree planting in paradise and we're talking about trees all this week. God's at work, guys. We're going to plant some trees. And it's, oh yeah, it's Angie's birthday. So every tree we plant is going to be Angie's birthday gift. <laughs> birthday trees for Angie. So what more reason do you need? If you didn't sign up on the clipboard, if it already passed you, go chase it down and sign up for that bad boy. Okay, so we're in the garden. The reason why, let's, let's start with that before we get into the quirky gardening tips that we see here. Why are we talking about a tree in the first place? Well, I mean, I thought about it in terms of what I do when I preach. I think we're talking about the tree in this text because it's Paul's sermon illustration. He basically, like a preacher, has just sort of outlined this very profound point, and he says, now I want to give you an example to help you understand it. So if you were with us last week, we read the verses right before these, and one of the main major points that come out, that, excuse me, that came out of it was that this hardening of the Israelites, their hardened hearts that has made them reject the Messiah and turn away from the gospel that God is doing, that actually God's been able to use that in his providence to open up the door and welcome in the Gentiles. That is non-Jewish people, people that are from pagan and uncultured cultures, the, the people that can't say that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ethnic forefathers. God has somehow used the, the hard-heartedness of the Israelites to invite those people in, the Gentiles, which, by the way, is me. My family history is non-Jewish. I'm a Gentile. And what Paul was telling us last week is that the resistance of the Israelites has made room for me to come into God's covenant through the gospel. And so here's how Paul talks about that with his sermon illustration. Now, he says, it's like this one olive tree that has a bunch of branches, but some of the branches are beginning to be unfruitful and they're beginning to wither. And so those branches have been pruned away. They've been cut off. They've been removed. And what that's ended up doing is created space in the tree for new branches to be added in. But not just any kind of new branches, wild olive shoots. That's what he refers to the Gentiles as in this text, wild branches, undomesticated branches, sort of off-the-wall branches that God, because of the room in the tree now, has invited in and has grafted into his one tree. And so even though those wild branches look a lot different from the natural branches, they all are part of the one tree now with the same root, the root of Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in a moment. So, that's how this tree kind of demonstrates his big point that we talked about last time. But there was another big point that came from the verses we looked at last week. And maybe you remember it had to do with jealousy. Remember, we, we talked about how when, when God opened the door for the Gentiles to come in, it had this effect on the hard-hearted Israelites. It had the effect of making them jealous. So much so that they begin to look at the relationship that the Gentiles have with God and say, that should be us. We want that. We want to have a relationship with God like that. And that in the providence of God, he is able to use that jealousy, which usually is a bad thing. But God is able to use that jealousy 
to melt and soften hearts and to make it so that there will be a day in the future where a great revival of Israelites, those who had formerly rejected the Messiah, now are eager to be known by Christ. And they'll be grafted back in. That's the tree analogy at work again. So now we've got these wild olive shoots that are put into the tree, but, but Paul says that's not the end of the story. Those fruitless branches that were removed, that were pruned away, they weren't tossed on the trash heap. If they come to believe in the Messiah, God can just as easily pick those old branches back up, the ones that have been cut away. He picks them up and he grafts them back into the tree so that they're in the covenant once again. In fact, not only can God do this, we should expect that he's going to do this. Look at verse 24. It's the very last one in our text. Look at it in your Bibles or in the bulletin or even uh, Brad's going to throw it back up on the screen. Verse 24 says it like this. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? We should expect that there will be many in Israel that see what the Gentiles have in the gospel and say, I want that. And when they do, they will be grafted back into this tree, their natural tree. That's how this analogy of the olive tree is working in all of this. It really is a gorgeous example. I mean, all of the Bible's examples are gorgeous. But this one really sticks out to me as beautiful and effective. But like we said before, might have some weird gardening technique in it. So I'm saying that because my initial study this week, I'm, I'm reading and I'm learning that there was a moment in time of New Testament scholarship, like in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, where, well, I don't want to put it too harshly, but some of the, some of the New Testament academics, they kind of teased Paul a little bit, the guy that wrote this. They kind of teased him because what they saw happening is you've got Paul, who's basically a city boy. He grew up in the city. He's not a farmer. He doesn't know trees. And yet he's trying to give this farmer analogy, this very earthy analogy about grafting and cultivating trees. And he totally messes it up. He gets it backwards. And he's trying to connect with his audience, but he ends up sort of mangling the example. And, and here's what they mean by that. Usually when you cultivate trees, and some of you guys might know this better than me. Usually when you're cultivating trees and grafting branches in, what you do is you take a wild tree, one that is undomesticated, that has this unharnessed power, and you graft the cultivated branch into the wild tree so that all its energy could be dedicated to that one cultivated branch and its fruitfulness. You don't do what Paul described here, which is the reverse of that, to take the cultivated tree and put a wild branch into it. That actually would kind of be pointless. It wouldn't really do anything. And so the New Testament scholars are like, eh, I don't know, buddy. It doesn't seem like you know what you're talking about here. And then to make matters worse, 
at the very end of our text, what we just talked about a moment ago, Paul talks about these removed branches that are cut off from the tree, set aside for a few years, and then somehow grafted back onto the tree and are made fruitful? Yeah, that doesn't work. If you try that on your fruit tree in the backyard, you're just going to be sowing a stick onto a live tree. It ain't going to bear fruit. Just FYI. And so the, the scholars are like, oh, Paul, this is so sad. You're trying to connect with the audience and have this down-to-earth example. You just ended up bungling it from the get-go. And maybe the reason I latched onto this is because it gave me flashbacks of one of the most embarrassing moments of my entire life. That's a traumatic way to say that, isn't it? Now you're like, ooh, what's it going to be? It has to do with when I, uh, when I was a youth intern in seminary. I decided in seminary that I was basically going to jump at every opportunity for pastoral experience that I could get, even if it was pastoral work that I knew that I wasn't cut out for, like being a youth intern with high school students. That, that ain't me, guys. I was, I was part of this huge uh, group. That, that this youth group I was working at had eight youth interns. Not staff. They had a lot of staff, too, but just interns for that summer. And I was one of them. It was the summer after my first year of seminary. And, you know, all the other interns, were they were just cool, you know? Like they took kids to go cliff diving at the quarry and do adventuresome stuff. And I just wanted to go to the library. <laughs> and I felt that all throughout this summer that I'm just like a fish out of water here. I don't connect with these kids. So we had the opportunity to give a couple of talks. I think we did two talks throughout the summer. Each of the interns did it. And so my first talk, I felt this burden to connect, to prove to these high school students that I was, they could trust me, you know, that I had credibility, that I got it. And I decided that the best way to do that was, um, well, to reference some rap songs in my talk, <laughs> some hip hop. Back in the summer of 2006, there was a song that was all over the radio. Some of you guys might know it. It was called Riding Dirty, <laughs> which as far as I could tell was a reference to driving a car without a license and registration. <laughs> that was what Riding Dirty was. And so you can tell by my explanation how well this would have gone in the youth talk, right? So I, I think this is perfect. Not only will this illustrate my point, believe it or not, somehow it did. But it also was just going to like, you know, give me some street cred. Help me connect with these kids. Make them trust me. I don't know how, but somehow that's what I thought it was going to do. But right out of the gate, oh, I made a terrible mistake. I messed up the name. I said, kids, you know that hip song, Driving Dirty? which might not seem like so bad, but I think the thing that made it bad is I didn't even say driving dirty. It was driving, I-N-G. <laughs> driving dirty. <laughs> they didn't even laugh like you guys are now. They didn't even mock me. They just looked like disgusted. <laughs> they pitied me. <laughs> and I remember just limping through the rest of that talk, just like, I lost it. There's no coming back from this. It was a really long summer, guys, really long. 
And so I'm reading these scholars teasing Paul about him trying to use an example and totally messing it up. And I'm like, yeah, I remember very fondly, not fondly, very clearly how that goes. And I began to think about it a little bit more though, after I got over that initial like flashback stress. I was like, wait a second, maybe, maybe it's not what the scholars think. Maybe if Paul was here hearing me talk about this, or if he was able to read any of those commentaries on his letter, he would giggle a little bit with them, be like, ha, 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 funny, I messed up an illustration. But once the laughing quieted down, he'd probably look at us and say, you know, that was the point, right? You know, I did that on purpose. I, I, I made the example this very backwards way of grafting trees. I made my example a, a somewhat impossible way of putting a branch back into a live tree. I did that on purpose because what God has done in including the Gentiles back into the covenant is nothing short of miraculous. There's nothing natural about it. There's nothing ordinary about it. Of course I'm not going to use a ho-hum gardening analogy that everybody's like, yeah, that's how it always works. No, I'm going to use an analogy that is backwards and looks off the wall and ridiculous because truthfully, what God has done in bringing Jew and Gentile into the covenant together, it's amazing. And so I'm going to give an example that really, really brings that to the fore. I've said that often in my preaching over the years. There's parts of the Bible that initially we look at and we think that there's something wrong, that there's a problem that we need to solve. But when you really sit and meditate on that scripture longer, you realize that the problem is actually the point. And this thing that we're trying to solve with our reason, if we're actually able to look at it through the eyes of faith, we realize it's a point that God's trying to make in his word that doesn't need to be solved. Paul doesn't need any help here solving his horticultural woes. He knows exactly what he's doing with these off-the-wall techniques. So Romans 11, sorry, I have been misspeaking all day today. Romans 11 is terrible advice for you gardening in your backyard this week. Terrible. But it is perfect perfect picture of the miraculous nature of what God has done in bringing Jew and Gentile together in the one tree rooted in Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for these terrible gardening tips because they remind me about just how miraculous the redemptive work of God has been. A few takeaways from this. There's going to be three of them, although word of warning or maybe word of relief, we're going to save the third takeaway for next time because we just don't have time to talk about it. So we're just going to do two of them and then save another application for when we revisit this text next time around. So here we go with the first one, though. I don't have it up on the screen. I didn't make PowerPoints for these this week, so just listen closely if you would. First takeaway, there is only one tree. Seems obvious, right? Like, yeah, Josh, we, we read the text with you. There's only one olive tree. Yeah, it actually is kind of a profound point. There is only one tree. And the reason I say it's profound is because the reality is you might encounter teaching, Bible teaching, 
at some point in your life, maybe you have already, that will suggest to you that there are two plans of salvation, one for Gentiles like me and one for Israelites. And there are two different ways to God. For Gentiles like me, it's through faith in Jesus Christ, but through the Jewish people, it's going to be through the law-keeping and the sacrificial system and, and the fact that they're related to Abraham. Two different plans of salvation, or in the language of our text, two different trees. But hear me out, guys. That is not true. That is far from the truth. There is only one tree because there is only one root that can give life and salvation and nourishment, and that root is Jesus Christ. The root was talked about multiple times in our text, and we're told throughout, in fact, it's part of why I started in verse 16, because in that verse we're told that the root of the tree is holy. But we're also told later on that the root is what supports the whole tree. And then ultimately, we're told that the root is the nourishment, the life of the tree. Tell me, who is holy? Who is supporting? Who is the one that gives life and nourishment to all who have faith in him? Jesus. I, that sounded like Cody. Cody, was that you? Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ is the root of the tree. And if you're thinking, you know, I, for the baptism, I shared with the girls when Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me has life in them. If that's sort of a flashback for you as you're reading this, it should be. Many people think Paul is probably referencing that when he talks about the root of the tree being nourishment and life and holy. It is Christ. And the reason I'm saying that right now is to let you know that the only hope for Israelites is the same one that's our only hope too, faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And when we talk about this future revival amongst the Israelites where God will use jealousy to soften their hearts and bring them back into the covenant, the way that they are gonna get there is the same way that you and I got there, through believing in Jesus and following him with everything that they've got. Don't be deceived. There's not another plan of salvation. There's not another uh, route that God is going to take a different people on. It all is rooted in Jesus, the root of the one tree that we see here. Second takeaway. My jacket has balled up my microphone cord here. Sorry about that. Second takeaway. Here we go. In that one tree, there is no room for pride and no room for boasting, especially ethnic pride and ethnic boasting, the kind that might arise between the Jews and the Gentiles as they exist in this one tree. Paul seems to be incredibly worried about that in this text. He sees it as a pitfall with all the things that we've been talking about. And so he says straight up at multiple points, do not let this be a point of arrogance for you. Do not let this lead to pride and being puffed up. Why is he saying that? Well, let's just hypothetically, let's say that we're one of the recipients of this letter all those years ago. We're Gentiles that are being told as we read through this letter that God has orchestrated the events of history so that there might be an opening 
for us, the Gentiles, to be welcomed into the covenant. That's kind of cool. God has, has, has made it so everything has worked together to accommodate me and my people so that we might be part of the tree now. It's a beautiful, beautiful truth, but one that if you start to hear that enough, your head might start getting kind of big. You might start feeling yourself a little bit and puffing out your chest and saying, look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm the one that God made room for so that now I'm in the tree and we can do some things. And right as your esteem for yourself is getting bigger and bigger as you think about this, your esteem for the Israelites is starting to shrink because you look at them and you say, well, they were part of the tree, but they were removed so that I could come in. They, they were part of the tree, but they couldn't understand or see what God was doing in the gospel, but I could. And all of a sudden, this teaching about you as a Gentile being included in God's one tree starts to give you reason to think that you're better than the Israelites, that right now are outside of the tree. You're superior to them. You boast in the fact that you're in and they're out. And the Apostle Paul here is saying, please don't make that mistake. Because the reality is, if you truly understand what is being said here about you, a wild olive branch being grafted in, you, a wild branch that has no business being in the tree at all, it brings you to your knees in humility. It makes you say, God, I have no business here but you've brought me in by faith alone. And the saddest thing about the pride that Paul seems to be worried about is if that shows up, it means that somebody has taken this truth which should cause humility and thankfulness and they've twisted it into a reason for superiority and arrogance. And that is tragic. Verse 18, I believe it is, that has that very succinct little statement that I love. It says, if you are arrogant, remember this, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. It's not your tree. It is in the sense that you belong to the tree, but you don't own it. You didn't make it. You didn't create it. And you certainly don't support it. Only Jesus Christ has that prerogative. So if you're going to boast in anything, only boast in Jesus who supports the tree. Now, I know I'm out of time here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't close by mentioning one thing. There are huge real-world ramifications to this very text and how we think about it. And if you've been following the news at all, you know in the last two months there have been story after story about celebrities, musicians, athletes, that are voicing opinions that seem to reflect this idea of superiority and hostility and prejudice towards Israelites, those from Jewish heritage. It's all over the news now. And I don't think it's a coincidence that God has us reading this passage at exactly the moment in time where so many of these things are floating through the news cycle. 
He has us reading the passage that says, with no ambiguity whatsoever, there is no place for arrogance and pride and hostility. For those Gentiles that have been including in the tree, looking at those branches outside and saying, I'm in and you're not. Now you might be thinking, Josh, the things that we've seen in the news, they're, they're not about this. They're about people being upset about business practices or, 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 or whatever it might be. But I promise you, if you trace the thread of those attitudes back to where they lead, what you might find is the exact thing that Paul was warning about in Romans 11. An attitude of superiority, an attitude of pride, and an attitude of thinking that the end-all, be-all of God's history is when we got included in the tree and forgetting that he still has work that's on the way. There's more yet to come. And if you find yourself with an attitude of superiority looking down on an Israelite, someone who's Jewish, know that that person might very well one day soon Come to know Jesus Christ just like you do, and they will be standing with you for all eternity, praising the triune God. The Bible says to expect that in the future, that there will be a massive gathering of Israelites who come to know Jesus through the gospel. So that person that you're relating to with arrogance might very well be the person that you share eternity with in praise and worship of the one true king. Know that as you form your opinions. Know that as you evaluate the things you're hearing on the news. And know that the one tree of God, it's amazing precisely because the Jews and the Gentiles together, rooted in Christ, will praise the triune God for day upon day upon day. Like I told you, the third takeaway we're going to have to say for the next time that we come back to this text. The third takeaway has to do with a big piece of this, that the kindness and the severity of God, as the text puts it. The kindness and severity of God, which we're told is a warning to us that our branch could be removed from the tree, which I don't know about you, that gets my wheel spinning about, what does that mean? Is my salvation secure? Could I be removed from Christ? Those are deep questions that we need to talk about and we need to spend time talking about. So we're gonna save them for the next time we revisit this text. We'll read over it again and go back there. Now I will sadly have to say that it's gonna be a while until we do that. Next week, our elder Chris Reed is gonna be preaching from the book of Ruth. I'm so excited about that. And then the week after that is the first week of Advent, the four uh, weeks leading up to Christmas. And so it's going to be a while before we're back in Romans because in Advent, we're going to take a break from Romans. In fact, me and Brian decided just this week, we're going to return to a, uh, to a congregational favorite. We haven't done it in five years, but we're going to do, remember the series we did when we looked at different Christmas carols and we married the verses from the Christmas carols to the Bible text they come from. We're going to do that in Advent. And, uh, I hope hope that you like it. <laughs> but all that to say, it's going to be a little bit of time before we come back to Romans 11, but we'll get back and we'll hit that question together. So let me pray for us. And then the musicians will come up for one final song. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord, for a text like this that humbles us. It should humble us. Lord, please just protect us from the mistake of taking something that should make us thankful and feel so humbled and twisting it into something that gives us pride. Lord, keep us from that pitfall, Lord. And allow us to celebrate what you've done in the gospel, making this one tree sing out to your glorious grace to all eternity. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.